Welcome to the Leverage Ladies Podcast with Linda McKissick and Shannon Dager. Each episode of this show, we will take on conversations about the biggest assets you have working for you, your team members. We will hear stories and conversations from successful business leaders, authors, and executives, and learn how they have used leverage to grow and expand to the next level. If you are looking to grow or expand your business, this is the show for you. Now, let's talk leverage. Welcome to The Leverage Ladies. This is a podcast where we have inside conversations with top experts and business owners about their journey to finding leverage, growing their organization, and achieving work-life balance. These are perspectives and stories you will not hear anywhere else. We are your hosts, Linda McKissick and Shannon Dager. We are business owners and business partners who've committed to leveraging our way to freedom so that we can achieve financial peace and have a life by design. As lifelong learners who run multiple organizations, we know that you can achieve more by focusing on building organizational support and leverage. To go along with these interviews each week, we are putting together a roadmap for you to follow along as you are implementing leverage into your business. Our speakers will be sharing documents and resources with you as well. Be sure to listen to the end every week to find out where you can find each week's piece of the roadmap. We highly encourage you to check out the resources. Now let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Leverage Ladies Podcast. I'm Linda McKissick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Shannon Dager. And today on the show, we're excited to have Tom Dager, which is kind of a nice treat, Shannon, to have your other great half. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. Tom knows a lot and he knows a lot about leverage. So we're going to push him and see what he can teach us a little bit on a larger scale. Well, I think he's going to blow a lot of people's mind today. You gave me a little intro on how many (laughs) virtual people Tom has to oversee. So I'm excited to dive in this today and stretch people's mind a little bit on the possibilities. I know some of our listeners are just trying to figure out to hire one. And Tom has, I think you said a hundred. Over a hundred. That is correct. So why don't you start, Tom, I always like to say you were born and then what happened? Cliff note version, of course, (laughs) and bring us to today and then we'll dive into leverage with you. No, absolutely. Well, thank you, Linda. I appreciate being on the on the show. So yeah, Cliff Note versions, born in upstate New York, raised in Southern California. I was a military individual from 17 until about 25. I had the, had the pleasure of serving in the United States Army. I'm a former law enforcement officer, and now I have been in what is today called cybersecurity or information security for 20 plus years. Awesome. And that you've probably seen that business just absolutely blow up. Is that correct? It, it has. We have all enjoyed the explosion of the internet and all the wonderful things that it has brought to our lives. Uh, there's also been, unfortunately, a bit of a darker side of that, right, with cyber criminals and others that have uh, taken advantage of that. So that is my current role today. I'm what is called a chief information security officer, and I'm responsible basically for all cyber and information security across my organization. And I work for a Fortune 50 company. It's a multinational food processing and commodities trading corporation. And we're in 160 countries with 50,000 employees across the globe. So you've gone from roles where you probably had no leverage. I'm sure in the army, they didn't give you like your your own personal assistant or anything, right? You were probably part of somebody else's go get me this or do whatever. And then law enforcement, they don't do a lot with leverage. So was that a hard shift for you when you moved into an organization where you had the ability to lose to use leverage at that point? Absolutely. To your point, I was leveraged. I wasn't able to use leverage in my career. Um, And of course, you build habits over time, right? And you kind of build that I can do it all mentality. I've listened to your podcast before. I I, I appreciated your openness and candor on 
the challenges that it takes at times to, to move from a non-leveraged to a leveraged space, right? Because not only do I have to leverage within my organization to deliver services to my company, I myself have, you know, an executive system also known as leverage, right? That, that took a very long time for me to open up and utilize that. And now I couldn't imagine my life, my work-life balance and, and how I operate without utilizing leverage. But you're correct. It, it, takes a, it takes a minute, right? You have to figure out the why and the how. And, but once you do, you'll never look back. Absolutely. I'll say too that it's still fearful for Tom. And, and a little bit for me, because we talk about, the, you know, he has his, he has his huge organization at work and we have our little piece of my business that I run. And between that, we run really a lot of hours and also three kids and, you know, all the, all the fun stuff. I have had many conversations with Tom that we need a personal executive assistant. We need somebody who <laughs> like, like we go to order dog prescription refills and we go to, you know, do purchase this or order that or plan a party here, plan that. And Tom has a really hard time with that. Like speaking, like he has a really hard time in our personal organization, letting go. Like, it's like, why do we need to hire somebody to help with that? And, and I'm like, well, because we don't personally have the time and it's important (laughs) to us to have the interactions with our family and our friends. And so it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. I finally just, you know, as, as we mature, I finally just said, you know what, we're doing it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing him say in six months, like, I don't know how we, why we waited so long. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious, Tom, because I think that's a really good point that a lot of people have. I can do it at work, but on a personal level, there's some kind of mental block of, either getting raised that you just did those things or who knows what, right? We all have them, right? We all have different blocks, but what do you think Tom is the biggest block just out of, out of my own curiosity? Cause I see this a lot, honestly, when we work with couples in another business that we have on building wealth and freedom and all those things, nine times out of 10, there's two different views between one spouse and the other. And, you know, that's the first question that comes out of their mouth is how do I get my spouse on board with this. And trust me, I've been married just past 41 years. Gosh, we all have our things, right? That I see it differently than he sees it. He sees it differently than I do. And I had a really good wise business coach one time when our agreement was on a need that that Jimmy had, which was to dabble in restaurants, <laughs> which I no longer wanted to dabble in. We had dabbled enough, I felt like. <laughs> and but again, I want to honor and respect that it's not just all about me. Although I know, Shannon, we kind of think that, don't we? Uh, <laughs> however, you know, I want to honor and respect whatever whatever uniqueness about him that like likes to do that. And my business coach said, Linda, why don't you allocate, say, certain block of money, 250000 or whatever. And that is, that money he gets to go risk it, do whatever he wants to do that he likes to do that he, feel, that he feels is something that's important to him. And I thought, you know, honestly... That's what everybody needs to do. Everybody needs to decide, okay, like we're doing a house in Montana. And so Jimmy knows that really, honestly, I get the override. (laughs) You know, if I don't like that piece of furniture, we're not bringing it into the house. But we pick and choose which pieces is most important to that person. But I'm just curious because I get this a lot with couples. What do you think, Tom, it is that it's you see it and you love it in your work, but on the personal level, it's a little more of a struggle. Do you have any ideas or? Yeah, I think, again, I can, for me personally, right, I come from a background of, of you know, dad 
I mean, did all the things himself, taught me a little bit of the handyman stuff. He's still at, at 80 something years old doing a handyman job, right? So any little thing, you know, it was done. I also came, quite frankly, from a, you know, less affluent background, a couple of working parents, myself, again, military and law enforcement, you don't make a lot. So you end up, you know, relying on yourself quite a bit. I think coupled with that, in my unique perspective, again, for me, coming from law enforcement and cybersecurity, right, just opening myself up to that. And it's taken me a while to realize that, and I say this at work, incrementalism is okay. Doesn't always have to be big bang or go everything, right? And I think that's finally when Shannon said, I'm going to do this. But then she did, honestly, she said, look, we're not going to give them access to our bank account, right, tomorrow or something like that. It's like, okay, that makes me feel good. Let, let's let's see where yeah. we can go. Let's see what we can do with this. And so I think it's kind of easing into that because to your point, it's our personal life and that personal is a big part of it. It's personal, right? It's not my business, which is important, but it's personal, right? And that that, right. that means that bringing somebody else into the, in a weird way, into the relationship to some degree. And so you have to be open to that. Yeah. And again, watching what my wife is building and, and working alongside you and listening to you and the, the things that you've shared, it really opened my eyes to say, I think now is the time to do this. Right. And, and well, I love that because honestly, you have if you really think about your whole life has been about protecting something. I can certainly see how that would be a hard thing to to let people into. And I've known couples. We have a really good friend that he coaches CEOs all over the world and she's more reserved and she doesn't like people in her space. And they've had to work and they've been married probably 30 something years. So they have to work through, you know, what is comfortable for her and then what does he need? Because he'd have the whole city of, you know, flower mound in his world, you know, doing stuff for him, you know, so he's total opposite. And I just want to tell you at our house, we have a motto that says no job too small to subcontract (laughs) because Jimmy didn't grow up doing farm chores and he can't do them. And anytime he's ever even tried, we wind up in the hospital. So (laughs) we figure it's better that way, but I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think it's, that's really important to, to understand. And sometimes People get a certain fulfillment from being able, I call them farm chores because I don't know what else to call them. But, you know, if you grew up on a farm, you had farm chores and that's just kind of was embedded in you. But I also feel like, you know, if it's a certain need that you have to do those, you got to honor that and you got to say, okay, you can do all you want to do with this stuff, but this stuff's mine. I feel I get a fulfillment and stuff out of that. But that's really so thanks for sharing that, because I've often wondered, I've thought it was one of two things, either the way someone was raised uh, or their behavioral style, you know, just who they are naturally more reserved, you know, more protected, more not, I don't want everybody in my world. So thanks for sharing that. That's going to help me a lot in, in other things that I do also. So now tell, tell everybody a little bit about how big the group is that you actually oversee and what the, what the mix is between people that are near you and people that aren't. Sure. So my, my personal organization is just shy of 200 individuals. It's about a 60-40 mix, so 60% leverage, 40% full-time employees of my company. And so, you know, as you can, and that's spread across the globe. So I have people from, you know, Sao Paulo, Brazil, India, Amsterdam, you, you, you name a general location or region, and I have individuals there or representation. And of course, it's big and it's large and it's challenging, but... You know, I couldn't do it without bringing those leverage skills. When you think about it, leverage is, is not only skill sets, maybe, you know, as we just briefly spoke about in our private life that are things we don't want to do, but it may be skill sets that are in high demand that you just can't, you can't get quickly enough. Mm-hmm. But an organization that might 
you know, specialize in bringing the leverage to the table, they might have a dip, you know, that's their focus. So mm-hmm. for us, we, we work with an organization that is good at bringing leverage and virtual team members together. And that allows them to focus on that, which they do very well. And then we get the opportunity to quickly upskill or, or bring skills to bear that I just, I just simply couldn't do fast enough. So you said something and I want to clarify. So when we talk about leverage, we don't just talk about virtual leverage. So we talk mm-hmm. about leverage in any format on this show. And so it could be an office leverage. I know you have mm-hmm. an in-office EA. Really all those 200 people are your leverage, right? Like you oversee Correct. the security. So all those 200 people are your leverage. But I wanted to clarify that a hundred and something of them are your virtual leverage, right? That, that, that would be that okay. would be correct. Um, though there is okay. a small, small subset of that are that are in office, just the nature of the particular arrangement we have. We have some of those people in the office again to to tie in with my direct reports and and meet with me and be you know a pre- physical presence that then permeate to that virtual presence that that is across the globe. Has it been difficult to learn? Is there like real uniquenesses between how to lead one group over the other? Yeah, and, and you know, and and I think all of us which is so impactful for this, I think this podcast and what you, you ladies are bringing to bear because leverage and especially virtual leverage is, is going to permeate the workspace now forever, whether it's remote work, hybrid work, whether they're full-time or again, you know, a virtual or leverage. Um, it, it, it is a challenge because you have to ensure, for me, for example, I have a saying at work, one team, one fight, right? Mm-hmm. Period, full stop. I don't care if you're an, you know, a full-time employee of my organization, if you're a virtual leverage, if you're an employee in the office, an employee out of the office, no matter what it is, as Shannon said, I have a team of you know, roughly 200, and they are my team, one team, one fight. And so you have to permeate that culture to the organization. And we do it, I mean, with heavy diligence. It's a very focused effort, right? We have daily and weekly team meetings that I have one-on-one. We do quarterly team meetings. We have, we utilize teams internally, right? We utilize team chat and we keep those open and we just a very free flow of conversation and we make them feel as if they were sitting there with us. I want, I want that leveraged individual to feel like whether they're sitting in a, in a seat in another country or another state or down the road, or they just happen to walk by me at the coffee machine the experience mm-hmm. is the thing, mm-hmm. you know, as much as practically can be done. And so, because if you don't do that, then you, you create a disconnect, right? You create a, an artificial barrier that doesn't need to be there that, that kind of fosters a them versus us or them and us, right? And to mm-hmm. me, again, one team, one fight, it is, it is it's how I live the day. And I'm sure there's some human traits that are universal, like communication matters no matter what, right? You got to have great communication, maybe how accolades or, mm-hmm. you know, giving people kudos and, and, you know, honoring them. And I'm sure all of those human things are important. Now, how you do them or something may be different based on, you know, where they're from or their uniqueness of their culture or whatever. Do you find that there are some uniquenesses and like, like if I need to, if I want to praise a teammate that's local, is that any different than praising a teammate who's not local? No, actually, it's it's very, to your point, it's almost identical, right? And we call them acknowledgements in my organization, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure we're acknowledging people That's for what good. they're doing. And yes, there are times where it's easy to walk into someone and just kind of tap them on the shoulder. Uh, but again, for my organization of that large organization, I told you, I have less than 15 of them physically co-located with me in an office. 
The vast majority are not in my office. And the feedback I've gotten is actually to treat everyone more like the same. Even someone that's in the office, I still might go up to them, but I will still acknowledge them via an email or Teams chat or other virtual channel that shares that across the, the, the group, right? So everyone feels the same to make sure you do that. And that those acknowledgements are cross-cultural, cross-regional, cross-country boundary. doesn't matter. People want to be acknowledged for their work. Right. And, and it has to be real and heartfelt. And as long as we're acknowledging similarly across it, that, again, not only do they feel good for the acknowledgement, they now feel like I'm part of that team because they acknowledge me just like they acknowledge somebody I know sits in the office next to Tom. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, again, another deliberative way that we try to maintain that cohesion of culture and, and organizational cohesiveness. Right. I think that's smart, Tom, to do it. I hadn't really thought about that. Like, really, I hadn't thought about that in the specifics of what you're doing and to the scale of your team about how you would say it personally, but also say it in writing so everybody saw the same thing. And that makes such a a difference, right? Because everybody wants to be acknowledged, like, openly, too. And otherwise, it might feel like it's like a sidebar. And I, I told Tom this when I booked him, Linda, I was like, I think that Linda and I could, like, peel back the onion with you so so that we're going to end up having more than one conversation down the road because there's such depth to what you're doing that applies to what we're, you know, kind of studying and leaning into. But I was curious, and you and I don't usually talk about this personally. So how do you make the decision when you have a position Mm. to hire in office, virtual? How does that talk to me about how you make that decision and why you would choose one versus the other and what you've seen in that? Yeah. So a couple of parameters that I look at, right? First of all, there's always a desire, again, within my organization to have a core group of individuals that are actually just employed by the organization, right? So just in case, um, you know, you, you're always looking at what the what if, right? And if, if that, that, you know, leverage decides to leave the organization, economic headwinds come about, and I may have to make some changes, do we still have a core group of individuals that are part of, you know, my organization that will be around to then flex back out and reutilize that leverage when, when the time comes. It also comes about skill set. Is there skill sets that we can or can't get that, and, and how quickly can we get that leverage to bring on board? So, so I look at it, you know, again, and then of course there is, I mean, let's be realistic. There's also a cost factor that always plays into that. And I think it would be, uh, you know, foolish not to acknowledge that. So I take that totality into, into play when I, when I look at that. And then we determine, you know, for us, it's full-time or leverage. You know, when I say leverage for us, I'm full-time or non-full-time, right? Or, or, or non-reporting to my organization. But then even if it's full-time, are they remote? And to your point, that's no different than, you know, virtual leverage from a third party, right? Do they have to be in a specific company? Do we need a specific language? That's actually a big one for me because I have I have some requirements around language requirements from an international company perspective. You know, what are we trying to fill? Believe it or not, diversity plays a huge role. Diversity, inclusion, right, and equity in our organization. Do I need a resource that I'm trying to make sure that I'm leveraging a diversity of viewpoint and things of that nature? And all those things factor into play, and then it determines: Do I go and, and look for you know virtual leverage from from a, a partner? Or do I do it myself or do I bring in people uh, full time? And, and it, it is a it's an interesting equation. Sometimes I get it right and sometimes I don't. 
<laughs> but that's just the nature of the business. So I'm curious, you hear a lot about how COVID has changed. And I was even in the line at Starbucks in Dayton, Ohio recently. And the guys in front of me were with a, I'm not sure what kind of company that is, but anyway, they were grumbling that they had to come back in one or two days a week. Are you noticing that in your industry of the the ones that you do need to be physically located, um, having a hard time with people that don't really want to be, they'd rather be virtual, no matter whether they're in the States or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a that's a common conversation amongst many organizations. It certainly is a common topic within my organization, you know, as to how do we co-locate? Where do people go? People that have moved away. And again, it really comes down to that challenge of an organization trying to build and keep a culture, right? You know, because culture to me is important. I mean, a paycheck is a paycheck, but if all things are equal and you can get a paycheck anywhere, what makes you want to come work for me in my organization? And, and I want the best and the brightest. I want talent that wants to stay and, and do what we do, which is protect. A, I mean, food is, you know, one of the critical things that we need in this world. And so to be able to protect that to me is an awesome, uh, you know, and, and heavy, you know, uh, charge that I have to, to do. So absolutely. And, and we, we sit there and have that debate, right? Because let's say, you know, being in Cincinnati, if we have people that we hire that are here in Cincinnati, they will bring up, well, why do I have to come into the office when someone down the road, you know, another state away that you hired doesn't? And that's a valid question. And oftentimes we come, to the conclusion that no matter what, we still try to bring where we can a lot of leverage together sometime, uh, at least once a year. Now, sometimes because of how we structure our leverage, I may have to go to another country and bring that in, and go to them, right? And, and go to them and meet them. But it's, there's still a connection, a human connection we try to make once a year, once every other year. And, and so we tell people one of the benefits you would get if you happen to be co-located near one of our facilities and to be able to come in on a, on a more regular basis to build that human connectivity. But then it allows you to go out and have a conversation because I'll use those, in, those individuals as ambassadors. I can't be everywhere. My direct reports can't be everywhere. So I'll take one of those individuals and say, hey, I'd like you to fly out to California and meet a couple of our uh, people that live out there, you know, that hardly ever get to come out and you can connect with them and but you can commiserate as well because you still work most of the time remote. So it's this combination that we bring together. But it certainly is a, you know, a, a challenge that I think exists out there, uh, you know, to make sure that we we find that balance. But more importantly, it really is making sure that that virtual team, again, just feels like they're part of the team no matter what. Yeah, love it. Well, as we wrap up today, Tom, the great information, what would be one bit of advice that you've learned as a leader and leading people, whether in, in office or not, that you think is important for people if they're either starting with leverage or they've gotten leverage and need to take it to the next level, what would be one piece of advice you'd give everyone out there? You know, within business, we tend to look at, at humans as resources, right? I get that. They're, they're a resource to fulfill a need. At the end of the day, though, they're individuals. And they're individuals that you're asking to come in and fulfill an important part of your business right? To meet a goal or an objective. And at the same time, you're providing them with an income and, and probably a career. So for me, the most important thing is to remember and connect with each of them individually, because especially the smaller the enterprise, the smaller the business, the more that outsized shadow they cast on how important they are to your organization. And you need to have that right individual, right? You need to have those right people that you're virtually interacting with that, that get you, you get them, and they're bringing their best to bear 
for your organization. So I, I never try to lose sight of that and, and of the individuals because no one is the same. Even the three of us here on this, as you mentioned earlier, right? We, we all have our different drivers and different needs and mm-hmm. to drive the best out of each of us. We have to know that and the same with our virtual leverage. But once you find it, once you find that team member and you find those, are those team members that meet your needs, the world is your oyster. It's just going to open up in a way you couldn't imagine. Tom, we have to wrap up, but I have one question I wanted to ask you really quick. Yes or no. Um, Would you have any hesitation hiring a virtual person versus an in-office person? Or is it just job specific? Are you open to... To yeah, either or at this point in your organization. Yeah, either or. It is, I have done a complete 180 over the years. Either or. Um, I'm about the right person for the right role. And for me, I'm literally world agnostic. Don't care. As long as, long as they can meet my needs and they're the right people. And that's I can figure that through the interviews. I, I have zero challenge with hiring virtual versus in person. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tom, for joining us. You've given our audience great information today. I love it. And wow, what a big idea to have so many people that you're overseeing so much leverage. And I think the audience is going to really understand that the world is your opportunity. It's not just no longer who who will drive within 30 minutes, which I think excites the heck out of me and makes me think, man, who else in the world would make my life so much better? And I could actually even make their life better also. So thanks for joining us. And we really appreciate you. And Shannon, I guess I'll see you next time. Sounds great. Thank you both. Thank you, ladies. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget to visit our website and download this week's piece of your leverage roadmap at leverageladies.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to and share this Leverage Ladies podcast with others. We would love to have you follow us on social media as well. Check out our Facebook and Instagram pages and be sure to follow us for ongoing tips, updates, and information. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is to leave a five-star review so that others are able to find the Leverage Ladies podcast. And again, thanks for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Leverage Ladies podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and we hope to catch you again in the next episode of the Leverage Ladies podcast. We'll see you then.